Hello children Today we are going to listen to a wonderful story of Ali Baba and the 40 thieves So get set and go There once lived in a town of Persia two brothers one named Qasim and the other Ali Baba Their father divided a small inheritance equally between them. Qasim married a very rich wife and became a wealthy merchant. Ali Baba married a woman as poor as himself and lived by cutting wood and bringing it upon three donkeys into the town to sell. One day when Ali Baba was in the forest and had just cut wood enough to load his donkeys he saw at a distance a great cloud of dust which seemed to approach him he observed it with attention and distinguished soon after a body of horsemen who he suspected might be robbers he determined to leave his donkeys to save himself He climbed up a large tree planted on a high rock whose branches were thick enough to conceal him and yet let him to see all that passed without being discovered The troop who were to the number of 40 all well mounted and armed came to the foot of the rock on which the tree stood and dear dismounted every man unbridled his horse tied him to some shrub and hung about his neck a bag of corn which they brought behind them then each of them took off his saddle bag which seemed to ali baba to be full of gold and silver from its weight one whom he took to be their captain came under the tree in which ali baba was concealed and making his way through some shrubs pronounced these words open sesame as soon as the captain of the robbers had thus spoken a door opened in the rock and after he had made all his troop enter before him he followed them when the door shut again of itself The robbers stayed some time within the rock <coughs> during which Ali Baba fearful of being caught remained in the tree At last the door opened again and as the captain went in last so he came out first and stood to see them all pass by him When Ali Baba heard him make the door close by pronouncing these words shut sesame Every man at once went and bridled his horse fastened his wallet and mounted again when the captain saw them all ready he put himself at their head and they returned the way they had come ali baba followed them with his eyes as far as he could see them and afterward stayed a considerable time before he descended 
Remembering the words the captain of the robbers used to cause the door to open and shut, he had the curiosity to try if his pronouncing them would have the same effect. Accordingly, he went among the shrubs and, perceiving the door concealed behind them, stood before it and said, Open Sisam. The door instantly flew wide open. Ali Baba, who expected a dark, dismal cavern, was surprised to see a well-lighted and spacious chamber which received the light from an opening at the top of the rock and in which were all sorts of provisions, rich bales of silk, stuff, brocade and valuable carpeting piled upon one another, gold and silver ingots in great heaps and money in bags. <laughs> the sight of all these riches made him suppose that this cave must have been occupied for ages by robbers who had succeeded one another. Ali Baba went boldly into the cave and collected as much of the gold coin, which was in bags as he thought his three donkeys could carry. When he had loaded them with the bags, he laid wood over them in such a manner that they could not be seen. When he had passed in and out as often as he wished, he stood before the door and pronouncing the words shut schism, the door closed of itself. He then made the best of his way to town. When Alibaba got home, he drove his donkeys into a little yard, shut the gates very carefully, threw off the wood that covered the panniers, carried the bags into his house and ranged them in order before his wife. He then emptied the bags which raised such a great heap of gold as dazzled his wife's eyes and then he told her the whole adventure from beginning to end and, above all, recommended her to keep it secret. The wife rejoiced greatly in their good fortune and would count all the gold piece by piece. Wife, replied Ali Baba, you do not know what you undertake. When you pretend to count the money, you will never have done. I will dig a hole and bury it. There is no time to be lost. You are in the right, husband, replied she. But let us know, as nigh as possible, how much we have. I will borrow a small measure and measure it while you dig the hole. Away the wife ran to her brother-in-law Kasim, who lived just by and addressing herself to be his wife, desired her to lend her a measure for a little while. Her sister-in-law asked her whether she would have a grit or a small one. The other asked for a small one. She bid her stay a little and she would readily fetch one. The sister-in-law did so, but as she knew Ali Baba's poverty, she was curious to know what sort of grain his wife wanted to measure, and artfully putting some suet at the bottom of the measure, 
brought it to her with an excuse that she was sorry that she had made her stay so long but that she could not find it sooner. Ali Baba's wife went home, set the measure upon the heap of gold, filled it and emptied it often upon the sofa till she had done when she was very well satisfied to find the number of measures amounted to so many as they did and went to tell her husband who had almost finished digging the gold. While Ali Baba was burying the gold, his wife to show her exactness and diligence to her sister-in-law carried the measure back again but without taking notice that a piece of gold had stuck to the bottom. Sister, said she, giving it to her again, you see that I have not kept your measure long. I am obliged to you for it and return it with thanks. As soon as Ali Baba's wife was gone, Kasim looked at the bottom of the measure and was in inexpressible surprise to find a piece of gold sticking to it. Envy immediately possessed her breast. What? she said. Has Ali Baba gold? So plentiful as to measure it? Whence he has he all his wealth? Kasim, her husband, was at his counting house. When he came home, his wife said to him, Kasim, I know you think yourself rich, but Ali Baba is infinitely richer than you. He does not count his money, but measure it. Kasim desired her to explain the riddle, which she did by telling him the stratagem she had used to make the discovery and showed him the piece of money which was so old that they could not tell in what prince's reign it was coined. Qasim, after he had married the rich widow, had never treated Ali Baba as a brother but neglected him, and now, instead of being pleased, he conceived a base envy at his brother's prosperity. He could not sleep all that night and went to him in the morning before sunrise. Ali Baba, he said, I am surprised at you. You pretend to be miserably poor and yet you measure gold. My wife found this at the bottom of the measure you borrowed yesterday. By this discourse, Ali Baba perceived that Kasim and his wife, through his own wife's folly, knew that they had so much reason to conceal, but what was done could not be done undone. Therefore, without showing the least surprise or trouble, he confessed all and offered his brother part of his treasure to keep the secret. I expect as much, replied Kasim haftily, but I must know exactly where this treasure is and how I may visit it myself when I choose. Otherwise, I will go and inform against you and then you will not only get no more but will lose all you have and I shall have a share of for my information. Ali Baba told him all he desired, even to the very words he, he was to use to gain admission into the cave. Kasim rose the next morning long before the sun and set out for the forest with ten mules bearing great chests which he designed to fill 
and followed the road which Ali Baba had pointed out to him. He was not long before he reached a rock and found out the place by the tree and other marks which his brother had given him. When he reached the entrance of the cavern, he pronounced the words Openism. The door immediately opened and when he was in, closed upon him. In examining the cave, he was in great admiration to find much more riches than he had expected from Ali Baba's relation. He quickly laid as many bags of gold as he could carry at the door of the cavern, but his thoughts were so full of the great riches he should possess that he could not think of the necessary word to make it open, but instead of Sisam said, Open barley. And he forgot the word Sisam absolutely and was much amazed to find that the door remained fast shut. He named several sorts of grain, but still the door would not open. Qasim had never expected such an incident and was so alarmed at the danger he was in that the more he endeavored to remember the word schism, the more his memory was confounded and he had as much forgotten it as if he had never heard it mentioned. He threw the, down the bags he had loaded himself with and walked distractedly up and down the cave without having the least regard to the riches that were around him. About noon, the robbers visited their cave. At some distance, they saw Qasim's mules straggling about the rock with great chests on their backs. Alarmed at this, they galloped full speed to the cave. They drove away the mules which strayed through the forest so far that they were soon out of sight and went directly with their naked sabers in their hands to the door which on their captain pronouncing the proper words open schism immediately opened. Qasim who heard the noise of the horse's feet at once guessed the arrival of the robbers and resolved to make one effort for his life. He rushed to the door and no sooner saw the door open than he ran out and threw the leader down and, but could not escape the other robbers who with their strength soon deprived him of life. The first care of the robbers after this was to examine the cave. They found all the bags which Qasim had brought to the door to be ready to load his mules and carry them again to their places but did not miss what Ali Baba had taken away before. Then holding a council and deliberating upon this occurrence, they guessed that Qasim when he was in could no get out again but could not imagine how he had learned the secret words by which alone he could enter. They could not deny the fact of his being there and to terrify any person or accomplice who could attempt the same thing. They agreed to cut Qasim's body into four quarters to hang two on one side and two on the other within the door of the cave. They had 
no sooner taken this resolution that than they put it in execution and when they had nothing more to detain them left the place of their hordes well closed they mounted their horses went to beat the roads again and to attack the caravans they might meet in the meantime kasim's wife was very uneasy when night came and her husband was not returned she ran to ali baba in great alarm and said i believe brother in law that you know kasim is gone to the forest and upon what account it is now night and he has not returned i am afraid some mis- misfortune had happened to him ali baba told her that she need not f- frighten herself for that certainly kasim would not think it proper to come into the town till the night should be pretty far advanced kasim's wife considering how much it concerned her husband to keep the business secret was the more easily persuaded to believe her brother-in-law she went home again and waited patiently till midnight then her fear redoubled and her grief was the more sensible because she was forced to keep it to herself she repented of her foolish curiosity and cursed her desire of prying into the affairs of her brother and sister-in-law she spent all the night in weeping and as soon as it was day went to them telling them by her tears the cause of her coming ali baba did not wait for her sister-in-law to desire him to go to see what was come become of kasim but departed immediately with his three mules begging of her first to moderate her affliction he went he went to the forest and when he came near the rock having seen neither his brother nor the mules in his way was seriously alarmed at finding some blood split near the door which he took for an ill omen but when he had pronounced a word and the door had opened he was struck with horror at the dismal sight of his brother's body he was not long in determining how he should pay the last dues to his brother but without adverting to the little fraternal affection he had shown for him went to the cave to find something to ensure his remains and having loaded one of his mule with dam covered them over with wood the other two mules he loaded with bags of gold covering them with wood also as before and then bidding the door shut came away but was so cautious as to stop some time at the end of the forest that he might not go into the town before night when he came home he drove the two mules loaded with gold into his little yard and left the care of unloading them to his wife while his he led the other to his sister-in-law's house ali baba knocked at the door which was opened by morgiana a clever intelligent slave who was fruitful in in inventions to meet the most difficult circumstances when he came to the court he unloaded the mule and uh, taking morgiana aside said to her you must observe an inviolable secrecy your master's body is contained in these two panniers we must bury him as if he had died a natural death 
Go now and tell your mistress. I leave the matter to your wit and skillful devices. Ali Baba helped to place the body in Kasim's house, again recommended to Morgiana to act her part well, and then returned with his ass. Morgiana went out early the next morning to a druggist and asked for a sort of lodgings, which was considered efficacious in the most dangerous disorders. The apothecary inquired who was ill. She replied with a sigh, her good master cast him himself and that he could neither eat nor speak. In the evening, Morgiana went to the same druggists again and with tears in her eyes asked for an essence which they used to give to sick people only when at the last extremity. Alas, said she, taking it from the apothecary, I am afraid that this remedy will have no better effect than the lozenses and then that I shall lose my good, good master. On the other hand, as Ali Baba and his wife were often seen to go between Qasim's and their own house all that day and to seem melancholy, nobody was surprised in the evening to hear the lamentable shrieks and cries of Qasim's wife and Morgiana, who gave out everything that her master was dead. The next morning at daybreak, Morgiana went to an old cobbler whom she knew to be always early at his stall and bidding him good morrow, put a piece of gold into his hand saying, Baba Mustafa, you must bring with you your sewing tackle and come with me, but I must tell you, I shall blindfold you when you come to such a place. Baba Mustafa seemed to hesitate a little at these words. Oh, oh, replied he, you would have me do something against my conscience or against my honor? God forbid, said Morgiana, putting another piece of gold into his hand that I should ask anything that is contrary to your honor. Only come along with me and fear nothing. Baba Mustafa went with Morgiana, who after she had bound his eyes with a handkerchief at the place she had mentioned, conveyed him to her deceased master's house. and never unloosed his eyes till he had entered the room where he had put the corpse together. Baba Mustafa, said she, you must make haste and sew the parts of his body together and when you have done, I will give you another piece of gold. After Baba Mustafa had finished his task, he, she blindfolded him again, gave him the third piece of gold as she had promised and recommending secrecy to him, carried him back to the place where she first found, bound his eyes, pulled off the bandage and let him go home, but watched him that he returned towards his stall till he was quite out of sight for fear he should have the curiosity to return and dodge her. She then went home. Morgiana on her return warmed some 
water to wash the body and at the same time Ali Baba perfumed it with incense and wrapped it in the burying clothes with the accustomed ceremonies. Not long after the proper officer brought the buyer and when the attendants of the mosque whose business it was to wash the dead offered to perform their duty, she told them that it was done already. Shortly after this, the Imam and the other ministers of the mosque arrived. Four neighbors carried the corpse to the burying ground, following the Imam who recited some prayers. Ali Baba came after with some neighbors who often relieved the others in carrying the buyer to the burying ground. Morgiana, a slave to the deceased, followed in the procession, weeping, beating her breast and tearing her hair. Qasim's wife stayed at home mourning, uttering lamentable cries which the women of the neighborhood, who came according to custom during the funeral, and joining their lamentations with hers, filled the quarter far and near with sounds of sorrow. In this manner, Qasim's melancholy death was concealed and hushed up between Ali Baba, his widow, and Morgiana, his slave, with so much contrivance that nobody in the city had the least knowledge or suspicion of the cause of it. Three or four days after the funeral, Ali Baba removed his few goods openly to his sister-in-law's house in which it was agreed that he should in future live. But the money he had taken from the robbers he conveyed by night. As for Qasim's warehouse, he entrusted it entirely to the management of his eldest son. While these things were being done, the forty robbers again visited their retreat in the forest. Great then was the surprise to find Qasim's body taken away with some of his bags of gold. We are certainly discovered, said the captain. The removal of the body and the loss of some of our money plainly shows that the man whom we killed had an accomplice. And for our own life's sake, we must try and find him. What say you, my lads? All the robbers unanimously approved of the captain's proposal. Well, said the captain, one of you, the boldest, and most skillful among you must go to the town disguised as a traveller and a stranger to try if he can hear any talk of the man whom we have killed and endeavour to find out who he was and where he lived. This is a matter of the first importance and for fear of any treachery. I propose that whoever undertakes this business without success even though the failure arises only from an error of judgment, shall suffer death. Without waiting for the sentiments of his companions, one of the robbers started up and said, I submit to this condition and think it an honor to expose my life to serve the troop. After this robber had received great commendations from the captain and his comrades, he disguised himself so that nobody would take him for what he was and taking his leave, of the troop that night went into the town just at daybreak. 
and walked up and down till accidentally he came to Baba Mustafa's stall which was always open before any of the shops. Baba Mustafa was seated with an awl in his hand just going to work. The robber saluted him bidding him good morrow and perceiving that he was old said, Honest man, you begin to work very early. Is it possible that one of your age can see so well? I question, even if it were somewhat lighter, whether you could see to stitch. You do not know me, replied Baba Mustafa. For old as I am, I have extraordinary good eyes and you will not doubt it when I tell you that I sewed the body of a dead man together in a place where I had not so much light as I have now. A dead body? exclaimed the robber with affected amazement. Yes, yes, answered Baba Mustafa. I see you want to have me speak out, but you shall know no more. The robber felt sure that he had discovered what he sought. He pulled out a piece of gold and putting it into Baba Mustafa's hand said to him, I do not want to learn your secret, though I can assure you, you might safely trust me with it. The only thing I desire of you is to show me the house where you stitched up the dead body. If I were disposed to do you that favor, replied Baba Mustafa, I assure you I cannot. I was taken into a certain place whence I was led blindfold to the house and afterward brought back again in the same manner. You see, therefore, the impossibility of my doing what you desire. Well, replied the robber, you may however remember a little of the way that you were led blindfold. Come, let me blind your eyes at the same place. We will walk together. Perhaps you may recognize some part. And as everybody ought to be paid for their trouble, there is another piece of gold for you. Gratify me in what I ask you. So saying, he put another piece of gold into his hand. The two pieces of gold were great temptations to Baba Mustafa. He looked at them a long time in his hand without saying a word, but at least he pulled out his purse and put them in. I cannot promise, said he to the robber. That I can remember the way exactly. But since you desire, I will try what I can do. At these words, Baba Mustafa rose up to the great joy of the robber and led him to the place where Morgiana had bound his eyes. It was here, said Baba Mustafa. I was blindfolded and I turned this way. The robber tied his handkerchief over his eyes and walked by him till he stopped directly at Kasim's house, where Ali Baba then lived. The thief, before he pulled off the band, marked the door with a piece of chalk, which he had ready in his hand, and then asked him if he knew whose house that was, to which Baba Mustafa replied that, as he did not live in that neighborhood, he could not tell. The robber, finding he could discover no more from Baba Mustafa, thanked him for the trouble he had taken and left him to go back to his stall, while he returned to the forest persuaded that he should be very well received. 
A little after the robber and Baba Mustafa had parted, Morgiana went out of Ali Baba's house upon some errand, and upon her return, seeing the mark the robber had made, stopped to observe it. What can be the meaning of this mark? said she to herself. Somebody intends my master no good. However, with whatever intention it was done, it is advisable to guard against the worst. Accordingly, she fetched a piece of chalk and marked two or three doors on each side, in the same manner, without saying a word to her master or mistress. In the meantime, the robber rejoined his troop in the forest and recounted to them his success, expatiating upon his good fortune in meeting so soon with the only person who could inform him of what he wanted to know. All the robbers listened to him with the utmost satisfaction when the captain, after commending his diligence, addressing himself to them all, said, Comrades, we have no time to lose. Let us set off well armed, without its appearing who we are, but that we may not excite any suspicion. Let only one or two go into the town together and join at our rendezvous which shall be the great square. In the meantime, our comrade who brought us the good news and I will go and find out the house that we may consult what had best be done. This speech and plan was approved by all and they were soon ready. They filled off in parties of two each. After some interval of time and got into the town without being in the least suspected. The captain and he who had visited the town in the morning as spy came in the last. He led the captain to the street where he had marked Ali Baba's residence. And when he, they came to the first of the houses which Morgiana had marked, he pointed it out. But the captain observed that the next door was shocked in the same manner and in the same place, and showing it to his guide asked him which house it was that for the first. The guide was so confounded that he knew not what answer to make but still more puzzled when he and the captain saw five or six houses similarly marked. He assured the captain with an oath that he had marked but one and could not tell who had chalked the rest, so that he could not distinguish the house which the cobbler had stopped at. The captain, finding that their design had proved abortive, went directly to the place of meeting and told his troop that they had lost their labor and must return to their cave. He himself set them the example and, lay, and they all returned as they had come. When the troop was all got together, the captain told them the reason of their returning and presently that conductor was declared by all worthy of death. He condemned himself, acknowledging that he ought to have taken better precaution and prepared to receive the stroke from him who was appointed to cut off his head. But as the safety of the troop required the discovery of the second intruder into the cave, another of the gang who promised himself that he should succeed better presented himself and his offer being accepted he went and corrupted Baba Mustafa as the other had done and being shown the house marked it in a place 
more remote from the site with Rechak. Not long after Morgiana, whose eyes nothing could escape, went out and seeing the Rechak and arguing with herself as she had done before, marked the other neighbors' houses in the same place and same manner with Rechak. The robber at his return to his company valued himself much on the precaution he had taken, which he looked upon as an infallible way of distinguishing Alibaba's house from the others, and the captain and all of them thought it must succeed. They conveyed themselves into the town with the same precaution as before. But when the robber and his captain came to the street, they found the same difficulty at which the captain was enraged and the robber in an in as great confusion as his predecessor. Thus the captain and his troop were forced to retire a second time and much more dissatisfied, while the robber who had been the author of the mistake underwent the same punishment to which he willingly submitted. The captain, having lost two brave fellows of his troop was afraid of dim diminishing it too much by pursuing this plan to get information of the residence of their plunderer. He found by their example that their heads were not so good as their hands on, on such occasions and therefore resolved to take upon himself the important commission. Accordingly, he went and addressed him himself to Baba Mustafa who did him the same service he had done to the other robbers. He did not set any particular mark on the house but examined and observed it so carefully by passing often by it that it was impossible for him to mistake it. The captain, well satisfied with his attempt and informed of what he wanted to know, returned to the forest. And when he came to the cave, cave where the troop waited for him, said, Now, comrades, nothing can prevent our full revenge, as I am certain of the house and in my way, hither I have thought how to put it into execution. But if anyone can form a better expedient, let him communicate it. He then told them his contrivance, and as they approved of it, ordered them to go into the village about and buy nineteen mules with thirty-eight large leather jars, one full of oil and the others empty. In two or three days' time, the robbers had purchased the mules and jars, and as the mouths of the jars were rather too narrow for his purpose, the captain caused them to be widened, and after having put one of his men into each, which the weapons which he thought fit, leaving open the seam which had been undone, to leave them room to breathe, he rubbed the jars on the outside with oil from the full vessel. Things being thus prepared, when the nineteen mules were loaded with thirty-seven robbers in jars and a jar of oil, the captain as their driver set out with them and reached the town by the dusk of the evening as he had intended. He led them through the streets till he came to Ali Baba's at whose door he designed to have knocked, but was prevented by his sitting there after supper to take a little fresh air. He stopped his mules, addressed himself to him, and said, I have brought 
some oil a great way to sell at tomorrow's market and it is now so late that I do not know where to lodge. If I should not be troublesome to you, do me the favor to let me pass night with you and I shall be very much obliged by your hospitality. Though Alibaba had seen the captain of the robbers in the forest and had heard him speak, it was impossible to know him in the disguise of an oil merchant. He told him he should be welcome and immediately opened his gates for the mules to go into the yard. At the same time, he called to a slave and ordered him, when the mules were unloaded, to put them into the stable and to feed them and then went to Morgiana to bid her get a good supper for his guest. After they had finished supper, Alibaba, charging Morgiana afresh to take care of his guest, said to her, Tomorrow morning I design to go to the bat before day. Take care my bedding linen be ready. Give them to Abdullah, which was the slave's name, and make me some good brush against my return. After this he went to bed. In the meantime, captain of the robbers went into the yard and took off the lid of each jar and gave his people orders what to do. Beginning at the first jar and so on to the last, he said to each man, As soon as I throw some stones out of the chamber window where I lie, do not fail to come out and I will immediately join you. After this, he returned to the house where, when Morgiana, taking up a light, conducted him to his chamber where she left and he, to avoid any suspicion, put the light out soon after and laid himself down in his clothes that he might be the more ready to rise. Morgiana, remembering Ali Baba's orders, got his butting linen ready and ordered Abdullah to set on the pot for the broth. But while she was preparing it, the lamp went out, and there was no more oil in the house nor any candles. What to do she did not know, for the broth must be made. Abdullah, seeing her very uneasy, said, Do not fret and tease yourself, but go into the yard and take some oil out of one of the jars. Morgiana thanked Abdullah for his advice, took the oil pot and went into the yard. When as she came nigh the first jar, the robber within said softly, Is it time? Though naturally must surprise at finding a man in the jar instead of that oil she wanted, she immediately felt the importance of keeping silence, as Alibaba, his family, and herself were in great danger, and collecting herself without showing the least emotions, she answered, Not yet, but presently. She went quietly in this manner to all the jars, giving the same answer, till she came to the jar of oil. By this means, Morgiana found that her master Alibaba had admitted 38 robbers into his house and that this pretend, pretended oil merchant was their captain. She made what haste she could to fill her oil pot and returned into her kitchen where, as soon as she had lighted her lamp, she took a great kettle went again to the oil jar, filled the kettle, set it on a large wood fire, and as soon as it boiled, went 
and poured enough into every jar to stifle and destroy the robber within. When this action worthy of the courage of Morgiana was executed without any noise as she had projected, she returned into the kitchen with the empty kettle, and having put out the great fire she had made to boil the oil and leaving just enough to make the broth, put out the lamp also and remained silent, resolving not to go to rest till she had observed what might follow through a window of the kitchen which opened into the yard. She had not waited long before the captain of the robbers got up, opened the window and finding no light and hearing no noise or anyone stirring in the house, gave the appointed signal by throwing little stones, several of which hit the jars, as he doubted not by the sound they gave. He then listened, but not hearing or perceiving anything wherever he could judge that his companions stared. He began to grow very uneasy, threw stones again a second time and also a third time, and could not comprehend the reason that none of them uh, should answer his signal. Much alarmed, he went softly down into the yard and going to the first jar while asking the robber whom he thought alive if he was in readiness, smelt and the hot boiled oil, which sent forth a steam out of the jar. Hence he suspected that his plot to murder Ali Baba and plunder his house was discovered. Examining all the jars one after another, he found it he found that all his gang were dead, and enraged to despair at having failed in his design, he forced the lock of a door that led from the yard to the garden and climbing over the walls made his escape. When Morgiana saw him depart, she went to bed satisfied and pleased to have succeeded so well in saving her master and family. Ali Baba rose before day and followed by his slave went to the baths entirely ignorant of the important event which had happened at home the previous night. When he returned from the baths, he was very much surprised to see the oil jars and that the merchant was not gone with the mules. He asked Morgiana, he opened the door, the reason of it. My good master, answered she, God preserve you and all your family. You will be better informed of what you wish to know what and when you have seen what I have to show you, if you will follow me. As soon as Morgiana had shut the door, Ali Baba followed her. When she requested him to look into the first jar and see if there was any oil, Ali Baba did so and seeing a man started back in alarm and cried out, Do not be afraid, said Morgiana. The man you see there can neither do you nor anybody else any harm. He is dead. Ah, Morgiana, said Ali Baba, what is it you show me? Explain yourself. I will, replied Morgiana. Moderate your astonishment and do not excite the curiosity of your neighbors, for it is of great importance to keep this affair secret. Look at all the other jars. Straight see. Ali Baba examined all the other jars one after another, and when he came to what she had the oil in it, found it prodigiously sunk and stood for some time motionless, sometimes looking at the jars and sometimes at Morgiana without saying a word. So great was his surprise. At last, when he had recovered himself, he said, And what is becoming of the merchant? 
Merchant answered she, he is as much one as I am. I will tell you who he is and what is become of him. But you had better hear the story in your own chamber, for it is time for your health that you had your brought after your budding. Morgiana then told him all she had done from the first observing the mark upon the house to the dis destruction of the robbers and the flight of their captain. On hearing of these brave deeds from the lips of Morgiana, Alibaba said to her, God, by your means, has delivered me from the snares these robbers laid for my destruction. I owe, therefore, my life to you, and for the first token of my acknowledgement, give you your liberty from this moment till I can complete your recompense as I intend. Alibaba's garden was very long and shaded at the further end by a great number of large trees. Near these, he and the slave Abdullah dug a drunch long and wide enough to hold the bodies of the robbers, and as the earth was light, they were not long in doing it. When this was done, Alibaba hid the jars and weapons, and as he had no occasion for the mules, he, sh he sent them at different times to, the so to be sold in the market by his slave. While Alibaba took these measures, the captain of the forty robbers returned to the forest with inconceivable mortification. He did not stay long. The loneliness of the gloomy cavern became frightful to him. He determined, however, to avenge the fate of his companions and to accomplish the death of Alibaba. For this purpose, he returned to the town and took a lodging in a, in a khan and distinguished and disguised himself as a merchant in silks. Under this assumed character, he gradually conveyed a great many sorts of rich stuffs and fine linen to his lodging from the cavern, but with all the necessary precautions to conceal the place whence he brought them in order to dispose of the merchandise. When he had thus amassed them together, he took a warehouse which happened to be oppos opposite to Kasim's, which Alibaba's son had occupied since the death of his uncle. He took the name of Kogia Hosein, and as a newcomer was, according to custom, extremely civil and complacent to all the merchants his neighbors. Alibaba's son was, from his vicinity, one of the first to converse with Kogia Hossein, who strove to cultivate his friendship more particularly. Two or three days after he was settled, Alibaba came to see his son and the captain of the robbers recognized him at once and soon learned from his son who he was. After this, he increased his assiduities, caressed him in the most engaging manner, made him some small presents and often asked him to dine and sup up with him when he treated him very handsomely. Alibaba's son did not choose to lie under such obligation to Kogia Hossein, but was so much straitened for want of room in his house that he could not entertain him. He therefore acquired, acquainted his father Alibaba and his wish to invite him. In return, Alibaba was pleasure took the treat upon himself. Son, said he, 
tomorrow being Friday, which is a day that the chop shops of such great merchants as Kogia Hossein and yourself are shut. Get him to accompany you, and as you pass by my door, call in. I will go and order Morgiana to provide a supper. Next, the next day, Ali Baba's son and Kogia Hossein met by appointment, took their walk as they returned. Ali Baba's son led Kogia Hossein through the street where his father lived, and when they came to the house, stopped and knocked at the door. This, sir, said he, is my father's house, who, from the account I have given him of your friendship, charged me to procure him the honor of your acquaintance, and I desire you to add this pleasure to those for which I am already indebted to you. Though it was the sole aim of Kogya Hossein to introduce himself into Ali Baba's house that he might kill him without hazarding his own life or make, making any noise, yet he excused himself and offered to take his leave. But a slave, having opened the door, Ali Baba's son took him obligingly by the hand in, and in a manner forced him in. Ali Baba received Kogya Hussein with a smiling countenance and in the most obliging manner he could wish. He thanked him all for all the favors he had done his son, adding Whittle. The obligation was greater as he was a young man not much acquainted with the world and that he might contribute to his information. Kogya Hussein returned the compliment by assuring Ali Baba that though his son might not have acquired the experience of older man, he had good sense equal to the experience of many others. <clears throat> After a little more conversation on different subjects, he offered again to take his leave when Ali Baba stopped him, said, Where are you going, sir, in so much haste? <clears throat> I beg you uh, would do me the honor to supper with me, though my entertainment may not be worthy your acceptance such as it is, I heartily offer it. Sir, replied Kogia Hussein, I am thoroughly persuaded of your goodwill, but the truth is I can eat no victuals that have any salt in them. Therefore judge how I should feel at your table. If that is the only reason, said Ali Baba, it ought not to deprive me of the honor of your company, for or in the first place there is no salt ever put into my bread and as to the meat we shall have tonight, I promise you there shall be none in that. Therefore, you must do me the favor to stay. I will return immediately. Ali Baba went into the kitchen and ordered Morgiana to put no salt into the meat there was to be dressed that night, and to make quickly two or three ragouts besides what he had ordered, but be sure to put no salt in them. Morgiana, who was always ready to obey her master, could not help being surprised at his strange order. Who is this strange man, she said, who eats no salt with his meat? Your supper will be spoiled if I keep it back so long. Do not be angry, Morgiana, replied Ali Baba. He is an honest man, therefore I do as I bid you. Morgiana obeyed, though with no little reluctance and had a curiosity to see this man who ate no salt. To this end, when she had finished what she had to do in the kitchen, she helped Abdullah to carry up the dishes and looked at Kogia Hussein, knew him at first sight, notwithstanding his disguise, 
to be the captain of the robbers and examining him very carefully, perceived that he had a dagger under his garment. I am not in the least amazed, she said she to herself, what this wicked man, who is my master's greatest enemy, would eat no salt with him, since he intends to assassinate him, but I will prevent him. Morgana, while they were at supper, determined in her own mind to execute one of the boldest acts ever meditated. When Abdullah came for the desert of food, fruit and had put it with the wine and glasses before Ali Baba, Morgana retired, dressed herself neatly with a suitable uh, headdress like a dancer, girded her waist with a silver gilt girdle to which this hung a poniard with a hilt and guard of the same metal and put a handsome mask on her face. When she ha had thus disguised herself, she said to Abdullah, Take your tabor and let us go and divert our master and his son's friend as we do sometimes when he is alone. Abdullah took his tabor and played all the way into the hall before Morgiana, who, when she came to the door, made a low obeisance by way of asking leave to exhibit her skill while Abdullah left off playing. Come in, Morgiana, said Ali Baba, and let Kogaya Hossein see what you can do, that he may tell us what he thinks of your performance. Kogaya Hossein, who did not expect this diversion after supper, began to fear he should not be able to take advantage of the opportunity he thought he had found but hoped if he now missed his aim to secure it another time by keeping up a friendly correspondence with the father and son therefore thought though he could have wished Ali Baba would have declined the dance he pretended to be obliged to him for it and had the complacence to express his satisfaction at what he said which pleased his host as soon as Abdullah saw that Ali Baba and Kogia Hossein had done talking he began to play on the tabor and accompanied it with an air to which Morgiana, who was an excellent performer, danced in such a manner as would have created admiration in any company. After she had danced several dances with much grace, she drew the poniard and holding it in her hand began a dance in which she outdid herself by the many different figures light movements and the surprising leaps and wonderful exertions with which she accompanied it. Sometimes she presented the poniard to one breast, sometimes to another, and oftentimes seemed to strike her own. At last she snatched the tabor from Abdullah with her left hand and holding the dagger in her right presented the other side of the tabor after the manner of whose those who get a livelihood by dancing and solicit the liberality of the spectators. Ali Baba put a piece of gold into the tabor as did also his son and Kogea Hossein, seeing that she was coming to him, had pulled her purse out of his bosom to make her a present. But while he was putting his hand into it, Morgiana, with his courage and resolution worthy of herself, plunged upon air into his heart. Ali Baba and his son, shocked at this action, cried out aloud, Unhappy woman, exclaimed Ali Baba, what have you done to ruin me and my family? It was to preserve, not to ruin you, answered Morgiana.
for Steve here, continued she, open, opening the pretended Kogia Hussein's garment and showing the dagger. What an enemy you had entertained. Look well at him, and you will find him to be both the fictitious oil merchant and the captain of the gang of 40 robbers. Remember too that he would eat no salt with you, and what would you have more to persuade you of his wicked design? Before I saw him, I suspected him as soon as he to you told me you had such a guest. I knew him, and you know find that my suspicion was not groundless. Ali Baba, who immediately felt a new obligation he had to Morgiana for saving his life a second time, embraced her. Morgiana said he, I gave you your liberty and then promised you that my gratitude should not stop there, but that I would soon give you higher proofs of this sincerity which I now do by making you my daughter-in-law. Then addressing Haas himself to his son, he said, I believe you, son, to be so dutiful a child that you will not refuse Morgiana for his wife. You see that Kogia Hussein sought your friendship with a treacherous design to take away my life and, and if he had succeeded, there is no doubt that, but he would have sacrificed you also to his revenge. Consider that by marrying Morgiana, you married a preserver of my family and your own. The son, far from showing any dislike, readily consented to the marriage, not only because he would not disobey his father but also because it was agreeable to his inclination. After this, this thought of burying the captain of the robbers with his comrades and did, they did so privately that nobody discovered their bonds till many years after when no one had any concern in the publication of this remarkable history. A few days afterward, Ali Baba celebrated the nuptials of his son and Morgiana with great solemnity, a sumptuous feast and the usual dancing and spectacles and had the satisfaction to see that his friends and neighbors whom he invited had no knowledge of the true motives of the marriage but uh, that those who were not unacquainted with Mor Morgiana's good qualities commended his generosity and goodness of heart. Ali Baba did not visit the robber's cave for a whole year as he supposed the other two whom he could get no account of might be alive. At the year's end, when he found they had not made any attempt to disturb him, he had the curiosity to make another journey. He mounted his horse and when he came to the cave, he alighted, tied his horse to a tree, then approached the entrance and pronouncing the words open schism, the door opened. He entered the cavern by the condition he found things in judged that nobody had been there since the captain had fetched the goods for his shop from this time he believed he was the only person in the world who had the secret of opening the cave and that all the treasure was at his sole disposal he put as much gold and into his saddlebag as his horse would carry and returned to town some years later she, he carried his son to the cave and taught him the secret which he handed down to his posterity who using his, their good fortune with moderation lived in great honor and splendor. So children, we have come to the end of this beautiful story 
of Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves. Hope you people, uh, you all have liked the story. So with this, your uncle Pratyush is signing off now and will come again with another set of stories. Till then, goodbye.